Good day. You're tuned into Free City Radio. Uh, thanks for joining us. This is the 46th edition. I'm your host in Montreal, Stefan Christophe. It is Tuesday, the 15th of June. Um, and on the show today, I'm really um, wanting to share this um, talk that was given by the late author and activist and professor Aziz Chaudhry. Uh, Aziz was a friend and a longtime collaborator who passed away recently in South Africa. This is a talk that Aziz gave at an event that actually was hosted by Free City Radio in collaboration with the Concordia Co-op Bookstore um, here in Montreal, Gio Giage. This was an event uh, surrounding the book that Aziz worked on called Learning Activism, The Intellectual Life of Contemporary Social Movements. In this presentation, Aziz speaks about the process of grassroots learning, knowledge production that takes place within social movements, within activism, and the importance of acknowledging these spaces as vibrant centers for ideas, for critical thinking, and for the, you know, importantly, the types of not only critiques, but visionary ideas that can push our society and um, you know societies around the world to um, towards transformative social change, but also to think about other futures and to uh, think critically about this moment. Uh, Aziz talks about struggles for migrant justice um, against borders, looking at the colonial legacy of the border regime globally and how that has enforced um, systems of global inequality. Uh, with the uh, capitalist colonial frameworks that run so much of the financial system internationally. Um, but Aziz looks at not only these critiques, but at resistance. And I think that, you know, about Aziz, I would just say that, you know, this was somebody who was very generous, involved uh, in a profound way in organizing around the world. Um, whether it was in Manila, in the Philippines, in Beirut, Lebanon, Johannesburg, South Africa, um, in Montreal, Geogiage, here, um, in France, in Christchurch, New Zealand, um, in Bangkok, Thailand, and the list goes on. I mean, Aziz had profound relationships with many movement organizers, um, thinkers, artists, um, many who have been featured here on Free City Radio. Aziz was a profound influence on my life as somebody who encouraged me, um, guided me. Um, at a young age, in my teens, I began reading some of Aziz's texts that were um, being published uh, in the context of the anti-corporate globalization movement. I would always look forward to when his text would come out. I would get excited. Um, and, you know, Aziz was very generous and is a huge, um, is a huge loss. And, um, you know, it's difficult sometimes to put it into words, the um, influence and the generosity of some people in your life. And I think, you know, Aziz Chaudhry did touch people. 
in a, a very important way uh, in terms of his ideas, but also his generous spirit and his active follow-up. Um, that's like one thing that's been coming back was the way that he would check in with people and, you know, just on a personal level too. And thinking about movement building not only as the ideas, but also as the responsibility we have to each other. And he was really committed to that. And I think it's important to note that. Um, Aziz passed away and we miss him. We love him. Um, so I wanted to play some of Aziz's words from this event that was hosted by Free City Radio, Learning Activism, The Intellectual Life of Social Movements. And uh, thank you, Aziz. Love you. Uh, and for everybody listening to Free City Radio, this is the 46th edition. I'm Stefan Christoph in Montreal. And here are some words from dear Aziz Chaudhry. Thanks to Larissa and the Concordia Carl Bookstore and to Stefan and also for all of you um, coming out tonight. Um, I also want to acknowledge the Indigenous people of this territory and also the territory I used to uh, live in, Aotearoa, New Zealand, uh, which is uh, more than just sort of the kind of Lord of the Rings and some stuff to do with rugby teams and, uh, and, and so on. Um, and uh, um, that uh, I think, you know, to sort of kick off talking about the book, um, I should sort of preface it by saying that in a certain way the book has its sort of origins about 20 years ago where I was kind of as far away from a university as possible in the sense that I wasn't uh, very uh, interested in being around university spaces and, and uh, so on for, for a long, long time in my life and I'm um, still quite kind of ambivalent but you know it's a job that pays the bills uh, <laughs> and uh, that's pretty much uh, how I view you know being uh, working at McGill uh, which is, is, is that there's that and there's other stuff um, that I do and I don't really lose sleep over you know trying to define myself as being a scholar hyphen activist or something like that or activist scholar because I don't. Um, the book is very much um, also a collaboration with a close friend and comrade of mine Orin Langell who uh, is a, an activist in the States and also a, an amazing photojournalist of uh, social movements and struggles. And I think Oren, um, who I first met in, I think, 2000, uh, is working at the moment on sort of archiving what's now about four decades of, four or more decades of his, his uh, um, photos, which um, the last time we sort of formally collaborated in this kind of way together was actually, I think, about... 2003 for a activist publication that came out in the states that I wrote and he illustrated with his uh, with his photos and so the front cover is something that Oren uh, put together and I think it also draws attention to the fact that writing is only one form or one way that ideas and knowledge and politics etc um, you know gets documented transmitted and so on and I happen to be probably a better writer than I am a photographer or an artist or a musician, but I know in this city too there are lots of examples, or certainly you know, quite a few examples of folks who, in uh, their cultural work, in their uh, work as whatever it is, spoken word artist, I know the work of people like Stefan in organising things like uh, Artists Against Apartheid in support of boycott, divestment and sanctions, uh, in support of Palestinian uh, self-determination struggles and so on. I think it's really important, and for me, 
thinking back about my own sort of journey, if you like, from being a teenager growing up in, in Thatcher's Britain in the UK um, to now, uh, sort of three decades on being here, I think too about learning as being this kind of jigsaw of different things that happen. There's intentional learning that happens when you know you go to class or maybe it's a workshop uh, inside or outside of some kind of organising setting. Uh, and then there's the informal incidental learning that takes place. And I think for me the informal incidental learning is often the stuff that falls off the radar, that gets discounted. And I work in an education faculty and you know, I was just having a conversation earlier today sort of saying, well, sometimes people scrape their faces and they say, well, what, what, what do you do stuff around migrant workers' rights? What's that got to do with, you know, you, you don't really do stuff to do with education. And I said, well, my understanding of education and learning is a little bit more expansive than um, thinking about what you intentionally do to set out to, you know, learn about whatever, whatever it may be. And that, that incidental informal learning doesn't just come through reading, it comes through conversations, it comes through doing, it comes through music. And I was thinking on the way here about, you know, people, uh, musicians like Buffy St. Marie, who's a Cree uh, singer-songwriter, who's written some incredibly powerful uh, songs that have documented and indicted Canada and the US for the colonial settler states that they are. Um, but have also documented the struggles and the resistance of, uh, in, in her case, Indigenous peoples, other um, songs that I kind of grew up with around you know, black struggles in Britain, uh, workers' struggles, women's uh, struggles, etc., etc. And so, to me, I think they're the kind of the totality of all of that stuff put together, um, and also that incidental learning that takes place when you don't even think about what the activity you do as being somehow learning or you know educational is is really um, really key to sort of the heart of this book um, and I think also too I see a friend of mine just walked in here who I was going to quote uh, Dave uh, you know that David's uh, Austin who's talked about thinking about theory as being a congealed experience uh, that I think you know we often hear in these university settings that some of us are in but even outside of university settings too in popular kind of media etc oh theory is this thing da, da, da. but people make theory all the time it doesn't necessarily have uh, a nice neat name or a particular sort of um, you know sort of uh, academic sounding uh, thing but Theory often, and I think this is where learning and thinking back about processes of politicisation and thinking about um, learning and education, that there's something quite deep and rich to be explored from pulling together experiential knowledge that takes place, and bearing in mind all knowledge I think is partial, with different kinds of knowledge that, that, that's out there, whether it's knowledge that's transmitted, like I say, sometimes it's transmitted through cultural forms, sometimes it's transmitted through conversations, intergenerational learning. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I learned, frankly, was listening to older, often women, uh, sometimes men, uh, activists, some of whom had been uh, conscientious objectors in the Second World War in Aotearoa, New Zealand, talking about their experiences and their lives. And uh, like we're sitting around stuffing envelopes for a, a fundraising mail out for an organization, or we're standing over a photocopier machine back in the day, you know, when it was kind of cut and paste and, you know, put stuff together on a piece of paper and put it in a photocopy machine that's a little bit different from some of the ones we have now. Um, and 
you're not thinking, oh, this is education, this is learning. But actually, there's something I think that those kind of spaces often have um, that you know you you are not necessarily there intentionally to learn, but there's this this kind of sharing that's that's going on. So I also think a bit about um, you know in, in the book um, this notion of um, how it is that we know what we know and the role of history in thinking about social change and social struggles and why is it <coughs> that certain kinds of movements and certain peoples within movements and certain places and spaces do and don't get documented and who documents them and who's not there and why is that and so I think uh, you know uh, Orin Langle the person I was talking about before the photojournalist was talking about trying to use some of the photos that he uh, puts together and you should check out his website Langle I think it's Langle Photography or look up Orin Langle and you'll find his uh, website with uh, a lot of his photos on um, but also Gary Kinsman who's a now a retired sociologist activist uh, based in, in Sudbury for many years talks about the social organization of forgetting that in fact it's not a coincidence often that we are dealing with the histories that we have um, that there has been a process whereby perhaps the militancy of particular moments uh, the ideas that were, that were important at particular moments are bled out of the script. So we end up with this kind of account of, of uh, historical organising, historical movements that actually don't give us um, the full picture. And so it's very difficult, I think, for, especially for newer folks, younger folks coming in and thinking about uh, social change and wanting to get involved or being involved with, with different sort of struggles when the vocabulary and the kind of space to do that in may be a space that was actually created um, intentionally or unintentionally through some of those kind of processes. So we end up with, you know, what some people talk about as Generation NGO, which is the idea that if you um, set up an NGO or if you want to change the world, um, you need to have paid professional um, kind of uh, folk working in a NGO that is funded, a non-governmental organisation that's maybe it is or isn't funded by the state uh, or corporations, etc., etc. But a particular idea of uh, Patrick Rainsborough, who was an organiser in the States, uh, you know, talked about NGOism as being the conceit that enough paid staff can change the world. <laughs> now, that isn't the model for many social movements. It's not the model for a lot of organising uh, in this city either. But it's a tension that is in there. And it's interesting to think about how it is that we get to these, these, these sort of spaces where the ideas about what it is we can do for you know, bringing about change, um, the vocabulary is very much influenced by history. Why is it now, I mean, I come from an era of isms, imperialism, capitalism, colonialism. I read a lot of stuff now around things like coloniality and a lot of other words that end in ITY. I'm like, hmm, okay, I'm not sure if I quite get this. What's, uh, what's up with that? Uh, how do we actually end up with uh, with, with some of the vocabulary that we have now, some of the rituals and the practices that we have now. And that's thinking about, you know, NGOs, thinking about different kind of activist groups, uh, all kinds of things. Where did some of those processes uh, come from? How do we learn that stuff? How do we replicate that stuff? And how is it that, and I guess here's the kicker for one of the things that made me think, oh, maybe I should do a, um, you know, graduate studies or whatever, was to... Uh, be in a lot of spaces which claim to be 
liberatory and democratic and open and so on and so forth and about the people and find out actually they weren't and to be to see people being shut down and to be shut down and to figure out kind of what was going on in terms of the ways that internally in some of the the organizing spaces that I was in there was this policing going on and it wasn't like it wasn't as sort of unsubtle as the state coming in and saying you know do this do that don't do this don't do that it was people who were supposedly all on about you know the same thing and then you find well actually that isn't the case and I mean my I mean one, one of the examples I remember you know very clearly still the first time I came to to Canada uh, 97 um, and the ways in which seeing that uh, anybody talking about indigenous self-determination struggles anybody raising questions about the British Columbia provincial government or the then the Jean Chrétien government the the flavor of the neoliberal capitalists that we've got back in now the Liberal Party back then long before you know uh, Harper and so on uh, how it was that these governments were actually quite actively and using paramilitary force putting down or going up against Indigenous resistance, Gustafson Lake, etc., etc., in 1995. Um, and isn't there a contradiction here? Why are we talking about transnational corporations uh, in Burma, in uh, Indonesia, and the evil kind of uh, Asian dictators? Uh, and we're not talking about transnational corporations in northern Alberta on unceded uh, Lubicon territory, etc., etc., etc. So, I mean, I remember raising that in a, in a workshop on on uh, corporate uh, power uh, and basically being told by both the Canadian and the US uh, kind of co-facilitator of the workshop, mm, interesting. Anyway, what were you saying about Indonesia? You know, that kind, of, that kind of thing. So what is that about? And so I mean, all that to say is, is I think the book is really trying to um, kind of articulate and think through um, some of the contradictions um, and possibilities of, um, of, of social movements, of social struggles um, of organising in different spaces. It kind of s skips around geographically a little bit, um, but also sort of starts out with a confession, which is that I'm a bit of a hoarder. And I have, I wouldn't say I have every bit of paper that I've had ever had to do with <coughs> you know, political stuff I've been involved in since the mid 80s, but it's, it's pretty close. I've got, a lot of, I've got a lot of paper and a lot of people have laughed at me about that. And now what's interesting is being part of all these conversations uh, in different places in South Africa and Aotearoa, New Zealand here, uh, you know, around the fact that there is all of this stuff that we were part of producing in bulletins and flyers and, you know, posters and all that kind of stuff and not in any sort of sense of vanity for going back and thinking, oh, that's really cool, I really like that kind of cut and paste job I did back in, you know, 1991 <laughs> on that, I like that cartoon. And, and, oh, yeah. but, but actually, that this is knowledge, and this is, this is, within this, there are ways, I think, that at particular moments, and at different moments, engagement with some of that stuff that hasn't necessarily made it into the so-called academic world or the, the ways in which a lot of movements are talked about or remembered is quite important and I mean right now for example in South Africa um, you know friends and, and uh, uh, comrades down there and some inside some outside of the university are saying yeah we've got all this stuff of banned publications from the the 80s and so on and we're thinking about struggles around labor brokerage you know temp agencies in North America or agence de placement in, 
in Quebec, uh, you know, we're thinking about stuff to do with generally precarious work, women workers, etc., etc. We actually did some cool stuff about that back in back in the you know the 80s and so on, and we had some really good popular education kinds of tools. But these are sitting in plastic bags and boxes very often in somebody's uh, you know somebody's personal connection, or sometimes there's been some work to try and put that that stuff together in some way that looks at how today and tomorrow's kind of struggles um, might engage with some of those kind of earlier um, earlier ideas. So I mean the book also deals with um, the question of research and frankly as somebody who exists in the university uh, you know for a, for a paid job uh, a lot of the research a lot of the best research I see has got nothing to do with um, universities. It's research that's happening in social movements it's sometimes happening in uh, you know, in uh, different kinds of community organising contexts. Um, and there's a chapter in the book that talks about and draws on both a little bit my own experience of doing some of that stuff, which is pretty much this work has to be done. We need to find out about this company or we need to find out about whatever, some particular problem that is impacting people's lives um, or our lives. And where do you go? And, you know, how do you find out about the track record of this corporation? How do you find out about the links between this company or this university and uh, the you know the Israeli occupation um, and the the how do you um, do that kind of work and so talking with other people who've been part of movements and I mean at some moments and in some movements what's happened has been some people were freed up to do quote unquote research work and were there was ways that people were able to make sure that people actually managed to eat and their families got to eat and so on and that research work took place in the movement and sometimes I'd say still takes place in the movements in some places um, and sometimes it's other ways sometimes there are organizations that uh, for example grain which is an organization I'll talk about in the book a little bit um, which I think does really useful work uh, particularly in support of indigenous and farm small farmer struggles land grabs etc etc which isn't a bunch of academics doing research may or may not fit neatly when and again we talked about this in the, some of the conversations you know if you're doing academic research you need theory you need a methodology etc 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 but talking with a lot of um, folks who do research in movements often when you actually get to it people actually take theory and methodology maybe they don't call it that quite seriously and there's also the question of relevance too right because there's a lot of a lot of supposedly you know kind of progressive academic research which may or may not actually have any bearing on uh, on people's lives right so there's also questions about the different processes about where the you know where the questions where the problems actually come from uh, and also you know is anybody actually going to see it beyond the six people who read a peer-reviewed journal article which probably only three people can actually understand if it's in that kind of classic sort of um, academic process and so then thinking about the fact that in the you know in compartmentalizing the world, which I think that often it's become, you know, I was just talking to somebody on the steps about this sort of tendency of groups and, and you know, non-governmental organisations, classic example, you know, you're slicing up the world and saying, oh, well, I don't deal with that, I'm an environmentalist, oh, I don't deal with that, I deal with human rights, oh, I don't deal with that, I deal with this, blah, blah, blah. and this sort of talk about joining the dots, and I often thought, well, when is it that the dots actually got, how, how come we ended up separating everything up? Into, uh, in, into this way of thinking. I mean, did we do that voluntarily? How did that take place? And by the same token, 
thinking about things like education and learning and research and action, is it, does it actually work to cut up activity into those kinds of things? And I mean, that's one of the things that a lot of people said who were, uh, you know, were researchers who said, yeah, well, you know, I'm a researcher, but I'm within this movement uh, and I also do this, I also organize, I do that. And there's a kind of a dialectic relationship between um, the kind of research that they do, which very often people said quite explicitly, that they, as somebody who's sort of like, quote unquote, a, a researcher who's got this intentional role of being a researcher, could not do without people on the ground who were organized and also doing research, whether that was peasant farmers, fisher people, and thinking about folks in the Philippines with some of these examples here, workers. Um, and I think thinking about some of the research that's happened, which has been both kind of um, let's say outside of the university but also for those of us involved with the Immigrant Workers Centre who have university affiliations um, there's a way there in which when I think about um, actually some of the stuff in our way who some of you will know and I wrote in another book that just came out which I put together with a friend in South Africa uh, on migrant workers organising um, without workers actually talking about in the context of outreach temp agency workers talking about conditions, but also talking about which companies use which um, agencies, there would be, it would be very, very difficult to actually figure out or start to figure out the lie of the land in a city like Montreal in relation to understanding, okay, well, rights of workers who are working for uh, temp agencies, what are the issues, what are the pressure points, what are the possibilities of, of, uh, of organising and so on. So I think, again, um, a belief that actually ordinary people think and ordinary people can think and, and know and have consciousness uh, should not be some kind of rocket science that, you know, because there's a lot, I mean, Robin Kelly, who's a, a historian in the States, you know, talks about um, the idea in universities of clever kind of uh, researchers, clever thinkers sort of going out to find, a, find the people to kind of drop knowledge on, right? Uh, so it's this kind, of, either that or it's an extractive relationship, right? That, oh, you know, we're going to find some community, we're going to do that and we're going to do some research and probably we'll get a, you know, kind of a special partnership grant uh, that, that says you need to have community partners and so on. And um, whether or not the, the research is actually sort of driven by or relevant to, um, to organising or to the, the, the lives of, of people, you know. So um, again, that, re that research aspect, I think, is really, uh, is really important to think about. And like I say, I don't think it's necessarily, kind of, there, are, there are multiple ways that research happens in, in uh, multiple different contexts. And I think it's very difficult to make generalizations about social movements and organizing without actually thinking about history, politics, and context uh, to actually think about, well, what works, how do, how do people do uh, you know, stuff, etc. Um, and the other thing too I think in the book is a critique of, um, of social movement theory um, that I think is worth putting out there in that when I started reading actually before I um, went to university really um, you know kind of was reading some of these books around social movements and in fact one of the things that I remember getting quite irritated about was reading some early stuff about the what became known as the anti-globalisation movement or the global justice movement and looking at some network people writing about networks and stuff that I've been part of and looking at that thinking what do these people do do they just read websites or something and, and come up with some really strange I thought very odd um, kind of <laughs> characterizations of 
of uh, you know of of movements and and then you know applying particular kinds of theories and it felt like often what was happening was you know it's like I'm a theoretician I've got a paradigm I'm going to test it out hey that's cool I want to check out you know I'm going to like come up with my theory and whether it works or not for what you're doing uh, I'm going to sort of say um, you know this is what it is and and if it doesn't quite fit well I'll either make it fit or I'll just kind of leave it out altogether and, and I think there's there's quite a lot of that in uh, the dominant ways in which social movement theory uh, I, I think is, is um, you know it's been written I mean a friend of mine uh, Chris Dixon who some of you you might know um, uh, wrote with uh, somebody else Douglas Bevington about 10 years ago an article called movement relevant theory which kind of has a similar kind of question which is what is the relevance of a lot of the stuff that's being written so much stuff that's being written about social movements to movements and maybe shouldn't stuff that's being written about movements and shouldn't theory about movements have uh, some relevance to them or um, you know and, and again arguing that there are different kinds of rigor rigor is not one thing you know arguably activist research that takes place in uh, some activist context actually carries with it higher risks than it does to uh, academics who are writing for scholarly publications, quote unquote, which is that, you know, if you get the, the arguments wrong, if you put out stuff that is um, not kind of done quite carefully, you could, depending on your context, you know, Britain is a classic example, talking to you know, friends uh, there who you organise around mining companies and some of the funding, the British funding for uh, mining and other kind of resource extraction, you know, about the UK libel laws and, you know, they're sort of saying our biggest concern is is actually the UK libel laws. Other people in, in the Philippines sort of say, yeah, well, you know, the biggest risk to our research is actually getting killed, uh, you know, because, you know, people go out in the field and, and they're also organised that they're identified as being, the people say, oh, they're, you know, they're, they're communist uh, insurgents and then they get killed by paramilitaries or, or state forces, etc, uh, etc. Et so um, I think that this idea again about theory and, and understanding that theory isn't just one thing and that theory and that ordinary people theorise and that maybe uh, some of the theory that has come out of the academy can be useful and I think that there are lots of ways in which knowingly or not and whether it's acknowledged or not theory as in some of that stuff that comes out of often comes out of the universities seemingly does circulate much more broadly than in university classes and so on but on the other hand I think it's important to acknowledge that a lot of theory and a lot of knowledge that is supposed to be academic knowledge was actually produced <coughs> collectively in struggles and that is often decontextualized or you know written out of the, con the history and so you know we wonder uh, why it is that um, you know, we, we're sort of in, in universities, if you like, the, the kind of the, the idea about the idea and knowledge is this sort of novel, individual, brilliant sort of contribution. Oh, I've just had this idea, I've, you know, and, and, and sort of, I've, you know, just come up with this, this, this sort of way of talking about something when I think that so much knowledge um, actually does come out of these collective processes and learning comes out of collective processes. And I was going back to a book by Jane Thompson, um, called uh, Learning Liberation, which is about, basically it's a feminist, kind of left feminist uh, critique of adult education, written in Britain in the early 80s. Uh, and, uh, you know, in, a course of, in her course of critiquing uh, what's happened to adult education, um, you know, and, and, uh, and learning, 
at a time and the stature was in power at that time too. Um, you know, thinking about the ways in which, you know, what is the difference between individualistic and individual kind of learning and, and collective learning? What is the political kind of significance of the two? How do those two kind of things in our own lives or what we see around us, uh, you know, how do they relate to each other? Um, what's the possibilities wherever we are, whether we're in universities, we're in activist groups, we're in different places. How do we actually build and support spaces and if you like kind of cultures or ways of actually being able to reflect uh, and think through stuff and debate stuff and, uh, and also uh, you know, have that kind of attention to to history um, and the processes of of what gets remembered and what gets told about particular struggles and moments and ideas. How do we actually sort of encourage more of that? Because I think that um, to me, you know, as I said, I think movements um, are often written off uh, as being um, political. They're not sort of seen as being um, you know learning educational. Uh, spaces where knowledge gets produced, where important and really useful knowledge gets produced, if you like. Um, and I think, you know, there's also that danger too of writing off what are often often seen as being small uh, kind of struggles, the daily struggles of workers, the daily struggles of, you know, migrant workers and, and uh, the daily struggles of different kinds um, as being sort of inconsequential and not really relevant because I, I think actually it's in sometimes those struggles and then the collectivity that sometimes get formed in those struggles um, that something something greater something kind of uh, quite powerful can be born but without actually having those those kind of uh, if you like the different bits of the jigsaw it's uh, it, it's not always clear to me that that you know I don't think we can sort of go from you know, sort of here to kind of like revolution uh, in the particular current you know, conjunction that we're in without some of that, um, that sort of perhaps more banal, uh, you know, everyday learning that happens. That was uh, activist, scholar and author Aziz Chaudhry uh, from a launch of a book that he worked on called Learning Activism, The Intellectual Life of Social Movements. That was an event that actually I organized through Free City Radio that took place at the Concordia Co-op Bookstore. Thank you, Aziz, for all that you gave to me and so many others around the world. Um, we'll remember you and we love you. I'd really encourage anybody who hasn't heard about Aziz Chaudhry's work to check out his books. Um, there are many. This is just a reference to one of them. And uh, he's such an important and generous force in um, movements for social change and the process of critical thinking and um, activism that was community-rooted and fundamentally asked questions outside of the you know, traditional frameworks of politics. Um, you know, I was talking with my friend Qasem Termizi and I was mentioning in a meeting, we were having a meeting about um, the Wet'suwet'en nation's resistance to the TC Energy Pipeline that is being built on their land uh, without the collective support of the indigenous Wet'suwet'en uh, nation. And uh, I was mentioning to some of the activists uh, in this meeting, uh, climate justice activists that, you know, Aziz had passed and how important he was uh, for me and others of our generation of the left. And 
my friend Kasim, who's also an educator and writer, um, corrected me in that meeting and said the anti-colonial left. And I, I think that that's important to think about the fact that Aziz thought about the left as an inclusive space, but also as a space where we would refuse to not acknowledge um, the violence of colonialism and the violence of these systems that have dehumanized and continue to dehumanize so many and um, have propelled the ecological crisis that we're facing. To actually be honest about the origins of this colonial capitalist system, about the fact that Canada is a colonial settler state based on the dispossession of indigenous nations, to be honest about the fact that the Israeli state is a colonial settler state based on the dispossession of Palestinians, to talk about these real facts and these frameworks in a way that thought about uh, how we could together address these questions in a profound way. And I think what Aziz was very good at was lifting up the voices of diverse social movements and activism all over the world in, in profound ways. Um, you know, there's many books that he worked on, um, but there's another one called Learning from the Ground Up. And I, I remember reading that book uh, flying over uh, after having been deported from Palestine by Israeli colonial authorities, flying from Jordan over Palestine and reading Aziz's book. I'd been there to help with the World Education Forum, which was an attempt to bring educators around the world uh, together to support Palestinian human rights and the right to education in occupied Palestine. I couldn't enter um, and so anyways, I was flying and, and reading Aziz's book and it was just so moving and important to um, see the different voices that he was highlighting in many parts of the world who were involved profoundly in anti-colonial struggle. Uh, that was really just being there in the air after that profound experience and seeing those voices from Colombia, from the Philippines, from migrant justice movements in the Americas, from Palestine, together in one of these awesome collections that Aziz put together. And um, it was just great to see this global network and this, this real existence of like vibrant, critical thinking and social movement networks around the world. I loved that. And it was really in that particular moment um, it was just really moving and important to think that you're not alone, you know, to think that we are together. But we're together and also thinking critically about how to be honest about systems of violence and oppression and how to overcome it. I think that was really excellent uh, and central to Aziz's work. So this has been the 46th edition of Free City Radio. I'm your host, Stefan Christophe in Montreal. We'll be back next Tuesday. If you like this show, uh, please tell a friend. I'd really appreciate if you could do so. Um, this is a labor of love and it's grassroots. Um, so let others know. Uh, if you want to find me online, you can find me on Twitter at Spirodon, S-P-I-R-O-D-O-N is my handle. 
Uh, we'll be back next Tuesday with another edition. Um, thanks for listening. And, um, and we'll go out with a piece of music that I listened to with Aziz uh, while we were painting his place in Montreal together right before um, he left. Um, it's a piece of music uh, before he left for South Africa early in 2021. It's a piece of music from Iceland. Aziz had visited Iceland numerous times, and um, I thought to share this. Um, and I'll just say take care. I'll talk to you next Tuesday.